I'm Mark Richardson, and welcome to Remodeling Mastery. Remodeling Mastery is a podcast series that's really designed to help you think about and reflect on your business, not just do your business. What I've done over the course of the last several months is I've really narrowed in on a particular subset of your business that it's especially important, and that is sales. You know, over the last 12 to 18 months, we've seen a pretty dramatic shift in the consumer, in the environment out there. And as a result, I think the sales acts, the sales strategies need to be as strong, if not stronger, than ever before. In this particular podcast, I really want to focus on a, you know, kind of a simple theme, and that is what are the do's and the don'ts of sales? And I've created 10 things that I'm seeing out there in the environment with different remodeling companies in terms of what, quite frankly, are mistakes that people are making. And I think when you look at that dichotomy of the do's and the don'ts, I think it'll help you to ask yourself, not only how do I avoid the potholes, how do I avoid the mistakes on the don'ts, but more importantly, it gives you, I think, a little bit of insight of what to start to inch towards. So with all that being said, this podcast series is supported by many of my strategic alliance out there, including certainly Engage, as well as House and others, as well as Remodeling and the magazines out there that really support, I think, this kind of education, including certainly Professional Remodeler. So going down my top 10 list here of do's and don'ts. Let me start with the first one. I think in many ways, salespeople more than ever, they need to be more putting time and energy into marketing. So my first do's and don'ts is don't become a stranger with your past clients. I think we have a tendency to do that. At the end of the project, we're all exhausted, certainly the client as well, and we have a tendency to, I think, become strangers. Six months goes by, nine months, 12 months, and now we start to feel a little bit guilty. We haven't kept in touch with those past clients. So the do is proactively keep in touch with your past clients. And you can do this, I think, in many, many different touch points. Something as simple as a phone call, just a check-in call every three to six months, or also while you're in the neighborhood, make a point when you're bouncing around to stop in and say hello, and don't ever hesitate to have, you know, a touch point in terms of, you know, a little Thanksgiving gesture, or certainly uh, on another point during the year. Number two, don't qualify so much. You know, there's a tendency for us to oftentimes think about trying to be more and more efficient. And we have the person taking the calls uh, have a series of questions, which is very efficient. But oftentimes we put too much into the qualifying process. We get into the particular location that we think is not in our sweet spot. We get into the client type of project in terms of it being too small, not in our sweet spot. We also get into, in many cases, we get into budgeting and start asking budgeting questions way too early on in the process. While when there's an abundance of leads out there, I think that's a reasonable thing to do. It's not a reasonable thing to do, I think, when there, when it comes to the environment we're now. So the do is just push the budgeting, push the qualifying kind of questions downstream a little bit further in the process. And I think when you do that, you're going to find 
a lot more success. Okay, number three on my list is that don't treat all projects and clients equally in terms of their cadence and pace. You know, we have, again, a tendency when we get excited about a personal referral, we get excited about a project that seems like it really is meaty and something we want to, we drop a lot of different things to focus on that project. We don't focus enough on is there a real true sense of urgency? When the client says they want to either start or complete a project by a certain time, you should make sure at least there's a strong why. So the don't is don't treat them equally. Those clients that are on the slow train, on the scenic train, let them be on that train. You know, meet with them potentially once a month, but don't drop everything else in terms of your either design or internal uh, uh, services that you're doing for clients that don't have a sense of urgency. The flip side of that, if there's a true sense of urgency, figure out a way to turn turn up the dial. It might be that going back to my train kind of metaphor, that you have a few clients out there that really want to be on the bullet train. Now, on the bullet train, you're moving so fast, you're not able to enjoy the views. So that has to be the motivation of the particular client. Number four on my list is uh, wrapped around money conversations. Probably the biggest challenging things for salespeople right now is having the money conversations with clients. Part of this is deep-rooted in terms of our own fears, uh, both of having those conversations and being wrong and potentially losing the client. But also, a lot of it is wrapped around just our fundamental skills. So... I would say don't treat it like other issues, like, you know, architectural issues, what have you. Really, really what the do is in this case, master the conversation, master the words, master the flow, master the questions that you need to ask, and don't be afraid to have those critical conversations. Okay, number five on my list was stop allowing the project to be kind of upselled, so to speak. Uh, it, it's not unusual. Clients have been on the sideline for a long time. They keep piling on additional things and they keep searching the internet, looking for cool things. And all of a sudden, before you know it, that project grows and grows and grows. And, and the budget and the cost escalation get to the point where the project will implode on you. I would argue that's your fault, not necessarily the client's fault. So what you have to do, I think, is sell down in this environment, not sell up. Now, that may be contrary to what you're used to or contrary to, quite frankly, what you fundamentally like and believe, but you've got to be able to do that. You know, think about this. Cleveland Research said, you know, in a recent study that homeowners really, really want their project and they're willing, willing to adjust the scope and adjust the specification to get their fundamental projects. I'm not sure we're really helping them in many ways do that. So what we need to do is we need to talk about, for example, windows and plumbing fixtures and really educate them that it's really not okay uh, if, if they go down in specifications. You know, if they don't want the Marvin window, how about taking them down to the Anderson? If they don't want the Anderson window, what about the builder grade window? 
Many remodelers cringe when they think about builder-grade windows, but the reality is a builder-grade window is many times better than oftentimes what they have in their existing house now. So you've got to have the flexibility, and ultimately the client will be right. They will choose the things that will make the most sense for them. Number six on my list is in this environment now, it's very easy to get desperate and not hungry when it comes to the client. One thing you do not want to do is you do not want to sell to the wrong client and the wrong project and the wrong size project in this environment, but specifically with the wrong client. You know, in an earlier podcast, I talked about 10 questions to ask yourself when it comes to the right client. Go back and search those 10 questions because if you can run through that filter, you will make sure the right client stays uh, in your net, so to speak, and you keep out the wrong client. I would argue about 20% of the homeowners out there are the wrong client for you, even though they meet the demographic that you're looking for. So do not sell to the wrong client. Are they honest? Uh, Do they trust you? Do they value your professional advice? Do they allow you to control the the process? Uh, Do they have realistic expectations? All of these are fundamental questions that not only you, but also different people on your team have to ask with every single client to determine whether they're the right client for you. Okay, number seven on my list is control the fantasy. So the thing you do not want to have is have the fantasy get out of control with the client. You know, what's critical at this point is to control the fantasy. I oftentimes like to use more of a conversation that's wrapped around setting up the stage up front that you're really there to create a master plan, a master plan for the client, and then phase in those things over time. But if you start with a master plan in mind, I think the client tends to be a little bit more realistic and potentially Uh, That fantasy that they have of trying to eat an elephant in one bite won't implode on you. So do not allow the fantasy to happen. Really focus and keep the conversations wrapped around phasing projects. And I think you can then control the fantasy in a much more effective way. You know, a simple question to ask or simple way to frame, I think, the fantasies. These are the things you have to do. These are the things that you want to do, and these are the long-term kind of things that you want to put on your kind of uh, you know wish list, so to speak. And if you can categorize the different elements of the project with that in mind, you're going to be more successful. Okay, number eight on my list wraps around the team and team selling. So the thing that you don't want to do is always try to go it alone. You know, I know the sale is oftentimes has a point person involved, but this is a team sport. And I think in the environment that we're in right now, you want to really deputize different members of your team. Oftentimes you can weave in people in design in the conversation, weave in people from the outside into the conversation. You can weave in even production team members into the conversation in the sales process itself. And what you're going to do is not only create confidence, but you're also going to differentiate yourself by bringing in a team of experts, not just you. So the don't is don't go it alone. And the do is think in terms of team selling. Okay, number nine on my list is wrapped around training. 
you know, one of the things that salespeople do more than anything is they practice the different techniques on the clients rather than on the practice field. You know, the thing not to do is with the scarcity of leads and the opportunities out there, you want to make sure that you're when you're on the field, you're put bringing your A game into it. You're not just looking back at some of the mistakes and things that you should have done. Try to practice more on the practice field. What do I mean by that? You know, listen to more podcasts, go to more trainings, uh, do role plays with different kind of people within your company on different ways to handle objections, uh, on what your fundamental pitch is. You know, have a sales training tool, but a sales training tool or presentation tool, you got to practice, practice, practice it over and over if you want to make it comfortable. Think of it like a musical instrument. You know, if you don't practice, it's just going to be noise. If you are masterful at it, it almost becomes poetic and beautiful. So you've got to use your different sales tools as almost like a musical instrument and you want to become uh, better at it. Okay, number 10 and my final one on my top 10 list is that, you know, we're out there in an environment now, right now that's really, really tough, you know, and I don't think you want to just keep shoveling, shoveling, shoveling and kind of killing yourself, exhausting yourself in this environment out there. You really want to plan. You really want to prepare. You want to try your best to maintain and have your mojo. You know, one of the things we've talked about before is 10 ways to get your mojo back. It's important that you have the right kind of attitude and you're pacing yourself in all this and you have that enthusiasm because it's that excitement and that enthusiasm and that focus that you have on the prospect that almost becomes contagious and ultimately it's what they buy. So the don't is don't just think working harder is going to get you there. You want to work in the right manner, with the right attitude, and the right behaviors if you're going to see the results that you really want to see. So I want to thank everybody for listening to this sales do's and don'ts kind of list. And I encourage you, go back and listen to the last six, seven, eight episodes of Remodeling Master because you've got all the ingredients in there, I think, to take your game to the next level if, in fact, you just take a little bit of time, especially with your vehicle, make it a little mobile university for yourself and be able to take your game to the next level. Thank you, everybody.